We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. If I'm struggling in relationships with men and I keep on feeling really uncomfortable around men and I have all these issues, it might be worth being curious about, well, what would it be like to work with a male therapist? Mm -hmm. Would it bring up some discomfort? Perhaps, but then how, how could I use this relationship to kind of figure out how to be more comfortable, how to work through some of these issues? Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and connection in all forms. We are your hosts, Sina Simon and Simone Humphrey. So hi, Sina. Hi, Simone. <laughs> nice to see you. You too. So let's jump right in and talk about how to find a therapist. This is a question that we get all the time from our friends, from our listeners, and it can be a really daunting process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should start with uh, the question of should you go to therapy? Right? Cause yeah. I think that's sort of a, a question a lot of people, I get that a lot. People asking like, well, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure if my issues or my circumstances really justify therapy or maybe I should wait or hold off. Right. So um, some advice that I always give is that you know, therapy doesn't have to be about tackling a particular, you know, one particular issue or a particular crisis, but it can be also about just self-improvement. Yeah, um, self-potential. Yeah. Yeah, I think so often people do come to therapy in crisis, whether that's crisis in your personal life and you're looking for individual therapy, or we get a lot of couples that often come in crisis. And that's an, a really important time to go to therapy. Yes, I would absolutely encourage people who are in crisis to come to therapy, but it's really helpful when you have someone that comes in before the crisis even begins. When you have a couple that's starting to have difficulties and challenges, but they're still early enough in their relationship or early enough in their issues that they're still really motivated or a person who's dealing with some kind of life struggles, but they're on their way to a crisis. This can really be a preventative approach if you catch it on the front end. So if you're ambivalent because or, or, or uncertain because you're not sure if your problems warrant therapy i would say come in see what it's like and and start exploring this early so it doesn't escalate into something bigger 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially with with couples, I'll, you know, just echo that. It's so nice when a couple comes in before the crisis, when they're just, you know, working through all couples fight, all couples have difficulties. And they're just beginning to work through that. um, Because it it prevents a lot of a lot of uh, escalation of conflict down the line. Yeah. And I think something that a lot of patients are concerned about is, you know, when do I end therapy? Or um, if I start therapy, am I going to be in therapy forever? And I, I feel like this is important to say for the record that people come and go. You can come to therapy and get a lot out of it and then feel like, all right, maybe my work here is done or the sessions feel a little flat and you can leave therapy and then come back to it. So it's not a commitment that's forever. And you and your therapist can work on what you want to accomplish and then decide together when it's a good time to end. Yeah. And it's a good question to ask therapists um, up front. You know, how how long do you typically work with clients? Yeah. Um, just to get a sense of if they have a timeline. Yeah. So what are the different types, the different types of therapy? There's individual therapy, couples and family therapy, and group therapy. I think those are like the big, the big three. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, and the way I kind of think about these different contexts, individual therapy, I think of much more, um, it goes really deep into that person's personal life, oftentimes into their history, really focuses on their relationship to the world, themes that are coming up in their life. Couples therapy, if, if all you're talking about in your individual therapy or all you're talking about as a presenting problem is your relationship, couples therapy is ideal because you have both partners in the room. The therapist can really see what's happening in the dynamic between you and your partner. And then how would you, yeah, how would you define group therapy or how would you recommend someone for group therapy? Um, oh, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I love group therapy because I feel like it's almost like therapy on crack. Like you get, <laughs> people get so much out of group therapy because it's, it, and, and I'm, you know, there are different types of group therapy. So sometimes people are coming in because of a specific issue like eating disorders. And then it's like there's an eating disorder support group or skills group. But a lot of the time when I think about group therapy, I also think about interpersonal group therapy where it's more about building an awareness of how you are in relation to other people um, through the process of being in, in a weekly 90-minute group. So uh, the group can provide support. The group can also provide a space where you get really honest feedback from other members about how they experience you. It provides a space for experimenting with uh, being more transparent about how you feel, um, an opportunity to put words to how you feel. So it's really about building relational awareness, um, but also receiving support at the same time. That's a nice way to put it. And I think that group therapy, we've talked about this both from our personal experiences, that it can be really triggering and it can be, (laughs) it can bring up a lot. And having conjunctive individual therapy is something sometimes really helpful so that you're not only talking about what's happening in the group with the group, but then having your own supportive space to really deepen that exploration of what just happened in the group. Why did I get so angry or so sad? Because heightened uh, emotions often tend to be heightened in groups. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I mean, in group, I've never felt so much like shame and anger and <laughs> sadness and all, all of these emotions uh, totally. come up regularly. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, whereas a little different with an individual therapist because it's just like you and the therapist and it's not, it's about your relationship with the therapist sometimes, but mainly it's focused on, on you and the therapist providing yeah. you with support versus in a group, you're all you know, you're all in the experience together. Yeah, yeah, it's a little more activating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So therapy is such a weird thing. You know, every once in a while, I'm like, I go on a vacation or I'm taken out of myself out of context and I'm like, what the hell is therapy? Like, what do we do? We're two people in a room talking to each other and and it can be really hard to define and evaluate. So let's talk about what therapy is and what that process looks like. Yeah, it's a good question. I ask myself that all the time as well, because it can mean a lot of different things, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. when I think about therapy, you know, one way of thinking about it is like coming in with a specific issue um, that's emotional, psychological in nature. Um, that's causing a lot of distress that you want to, you know, process and resolve. Like that's kind of what I think a lot of people associate with therapy and that can certainly be part of it. Um, but sort of broadly, it's like managing symptoms, identifying feelings, identifying, you know, uh, how your past relates to your present sort of in general, like building self-awareness, both, uh, rela- re- awareness of yourself, but also awareness of yourself in relation to another person. Right. It's sort of like a space that feels really protected, that hopefully feels really safe and allows the person to heal and grow. Mm-hmm. And and you have this person who's an expert, not on you, because you're the only expert on your life, but an expert in, in how to process some of these things um, that often we have been raised to shut down our feelings, um, write over what we want, not have access to all of these parts of our inner world. And I think therapy is really a space where it allows sort of you to both feel, but also kind of identify what, what you want um, in your life and, and, and being able to see how all of these barriers have gotten in the way whether that's with certain relationships or certain ways that you relate to yourself. Um, So being able to understand the kind of themes in your life, like are you the type of person that chooses partners who, um, who leave very quickly? Or are you someone who seems to get into conflict all the time? Um, So really understanding like how these different patterns in your relationships or are you someone who gets fired all the time and really being able to understand it and connect it to how you developed it in the first place yeah and i think about related to that like when when things are out of awareness when our you know relational patterns or our feelings or our defenses remain out of awareness they have a tremendous amount of power over us mm. but when we're able to bring them to the surface then we can have, you know, choice about how we how we choose to relate to ourselves and and the world around us uh, versus just kind of being in our default state, our default mode. 
Right. It's sort of, yeah, I love that. Empowering people to have choice in their life, to make conscious decisions and to trust themselves too. You know, to be able to trust your intuition, trust your emotions, kind of honor yourself. Um, that can be really difficult for many people. Yeah, yeah. And then couples therapy, family therapy, and group therapy does some of that work around building self-awareness and, and uh, allowing people to have more choice uh, through awareness, but also becomes very much about, like, uh, how, you know, uh, experimenting with or or uh, practicing relating differently yeah 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 so it becomes more about like um, building the capacity to connect and be vulnerable yeah. yeah yeah and so different therapists are trained in a million different models and it makes no sense for us to go through them although we try to, to put together a short list on our website at lovelink.co of, of different the kind of most popular forms of individual therapy and the most popular forms of couples therapy but really, I think if we're going to kind of pare it down into something very, very basic, you kind of have two different types of therapists, those that tend to be very behavioral, coming up with much more kind of skill based strategies to target present focused problems known as cognitive behavioral therapists. And then you have the camp of therapists that really um, try to unpack history, go back to childhood experiences to understand how you are in the present. And this is considered psychodynamic therapy. So there's a range of therapies in between, but these are sort of the basic models. Right. And some therapists are pretty direct and active, and others are more passive, more neutral, and kind of allow things to unfold uh, more. So, you know, you, you kind of have to feel out what style resonates with you when you pick a therapist. And you may not Which, know this initially. You can look yeah. at their website and you get a description and you maybe have a sense of how they work as they describe it. But if you start to look at therapist bios, they all start to sound exactly the same. And yeah. if you look at specialties, <laughs> some people have really specific specialties. And, and actually, I think that's a really good sign that they are an expert in that. But most therapists have like 10 or 20 specialties, right. which means they're more general practitioners. So a lot... A lot of finding a therapist is figuring out a good fit, mm -hmm. figuring out what, what feels good, what works for you. Yeah. So like important. dating. <laughs> it's kind of like dating. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and you might have to go on some bad first dates <laughs> to find yes. your person. Yes. Or even like just date around. Even if you have yeah. a good date, maybe you want another good date and then choose between the two, two therapists. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about how to find a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that is certainly tricky. And, and a lot of it depends on your financial resources and, um, and, how, and whether you have insurance or not. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess with insurance, like a lot of therapists, um, at least in New York City, I don't think this is true across the country, but in New York City, a lot of therapists are out of network. So that means you have to pay out of pocket. And then if you have insurance that has out of network benefits, 
they'll cover usually a portion of the fee. Um, and But then there are a lot of therapists too that are in network. Um, so certainly like contacting your insurance company to see who who is in network for them would be one strategy of to find a therapist. And one of the ways that you can filter out people that are in network is either through your insurance company, um, through their, their search engine, or psychology today is a great way to do a therapist search and then filter out which insurance company um, they, they accept. So then there are also um, training clinics that provide sliding scale um, that you can find. Like in New York City, there's like, so many. I mean, we could spend hours talking about all the different training clinics and the different models that they use. Then there are websites that are national, like Psychology Today provides a good overview of, of therapists in different cities and uh, what insurances they take and what their fees look like. Um, and uh, yeah, other, other, I mean, I think the best way to find a therapist is through a referral. Yes, definitely. That should be a first line. You may not have someone that knows anyone and then you can go back to these search engines, but it's always better to have a higher filter by asking someone you know if they have a recommendation. Whether you have a friend who's a therapist or a psychiatrist, um, your primary doctor may know um, psychologists that they would recommend. If you're part of a school counseling clinic, you can, I mean, you can always see someone there, but if they only see patients short-term, they often have a list of therapists that they provide for referrals. Or your friends. If your friend had a really good experience in therapy and they say, I love my therapist, go see if, if that therapist is willing to see you. Yeah, Some, I, that's the mm-hmm. best way, for sure. Yes. Cause then they're vetted. They're vetted, right. Right, because there's a lot of therapists out there and some therapists are really good. And then you hear a lot of horror stories. You know, yeah. sadly, I've, I've had patients who have come to my office after several experiences that were really negative, where the therapist didn't seem like they cared or at worst, one therapist who kind of fell asleep. Oh my you know, God. <laughs> I've heard that from clients too, that they've seen a therapist that fell yes. asleep. I was like, how yes. is that possible? Yes. Or a therapist who who's late, or yeah. or someone you go, you know you go to their office and their office is a mess. I mean, yeah. when you pick up on these red flags and you hear your intuition and you say like this isn't a good fit, listen to it, and 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 find someone that you really trust because you are going to be opening up in the most vulnerable of ways to this person. This is a real relationship in your life. Although there was one time where I referred, I, I uh, referred Simone to someone <laughs> who I was seeing, who I actually liked, um, but then it was a bad experience. Oh my god! Yeah, because he that? he forgot my name. He kept on Twice. calling me Nicole, Nicole, oh Nicole over and over again. And then yeah, he missed a session that we had scheduled. He just yeah. completely didn't show, and then apologized in an email by calling me Nicole. And oh my god, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I stopped uh, seeing him after that actually. Because I was like, if you're treating other people like that, like I just I can't. Uh, yeah, you yeah. couldn't get over that. No, I couldn't get over that. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. 
moment was brought to you by Nan, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. And then some of the things that, that are helpful to keep in mind when you're searching for a therapist is like, what what what's your type? <laughs> like, are you looking for someone that's older and wiser? Are you looking for someone that's younger and can relate? Is there a specific race, sexuality, or gender that you might feel more comfortable with? So I think asking these questions ahead of time, and it's not necessarily, it doesn't mean that who you want to work with is necessarily the best fit. I think oftentimes people feel safer with a particular person, but actually could really benefit Mm -hmm. from working through their discomfort with another type of person. But asking yourselves these questions, you know, if, if I'm struggling in relationships with men and I keep on feeling really uncomfortable around men and I have all these issues, it might be worth being curious about, well, what would it be like to work with a male therapist? Mm-hmm. Would it bring up some discomfort? Perhaps, but then how, how could I use this relationship to kind of figure out how to be more comfortable, how to work through some of these issues? so important yeah so if we think about um the steps like the once you find a a person that seems interesting a clinician who you're curious about uh working maybe working with um and usually it's good to have like three of those perhaps you know again back to this like dating analogy like um uh it's good to to try a few different people before making your choice but reach out to that therapist Um, And then see if they're willing to do, uh, you know, a brief phone call at minimum. Sometimes therapists are willing to do a full consultation session, um, you know, and and just so you can get a sense of their style. Yeah, most therapists, I would say, provide a 15-minute consultation where they ask you what you're looking for in therapy and you can ask questions of the therapist but a, a kind of being able to touch base and see if it if it's going to work and then some good questions to ask are about like their policies you know cancellation costs insurance if they increase their rates annually uh how they work do they have experience with the problem that you're coming in with what's their training and expertise um you know are they licensed hopefully they're licensed (laughs) Um, and just a thing on training and expertise uh you know we there are psychiatrists the psychiatrists are medical professionals medical doctors who can prescribe medication and sometimes are also trained in providing therapy and we have doctoral level clinicians who have um PhDs or PsyDs, so they have, you know, like six to eight years of graduate school training, um, and and, uh, PsyDs and PhDs have to write a dissertation and do research, and then master's level clinicians, usually social workers or uh, mental health counselors, and then coaches, but coaches, uh, being a coach is not a protected title, so you have to ask a little bit more about what what training that person actually has, because it's not a title they where they need to be licensed yeah and coaches tend to be more present focused more direct more advice giving um and that that's a generalization but that they that they tend to target specific problems like finding a partner or getting a job and can be a lot more practical in the ways that they approach problems 
I'm curious, how have you just like once you sit with a clinic with a with a therapist, like how do you decide whether they're a good fit for you? Like, mm. What are some of the things? That's a good question. A lot of it is how comfortable I am. You know, yeah. do I f- does this person put me at ease? Uh, you know, it's 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 so. There's the part of me that wants to find the smartest therapist. You know, can this person tell me exactly what I'm struggling with and why and kind of lay out this beautiful kind of interpretation and analysis? That, that's sort of on a cognitive level. But when I'm actually in the room with a therapist, so much of it is just how do they make me feel? Yeah. Do I feel at ease with this person? Do they make me feel safe? Do I feel unjudged? And it's like those basics that allows me to say, yes, I want to see this person again. Yeah, I would say this. Yeah, I think the same thing. Like, do I feel comfortable with them? And do they offer me something in the first session? Like, Mm. do I feel like I can, I, I walk away with a little bit of a sense of what they could offer me so that it's not just like a session where I feel supported and empathize and validated, but like, do I get a little something or do I, can I, do I walk away having a slightly different perspective or some insight or something? Um, A little piece of how they work. Yeah. And like how they could be helpful. Right. But I agree. So much of it is like chemistry and just like gut intuition about, comfort level um uh yeah and then I think you know just like on a very practical level uh like I did see a therapist once who I love like I had such a good session but she was like 350 (laughs) it just like financially was such a I couldn't you know it was such a stretch that I I felt I would start to become eventually resentful of the therapy so I think you know there's sometimes also things like location and affordability like will I become is will I become resentful in the long term if it's not convenient enough and not within my budget yeah convenience is huge I mean now we have teletherapy which I think a lot of patients are going to want to continue even when we go back to in-person therapy because they can just squeeze it into their day but when, you know, when I when we were going into the office, it really was about is this can this be a part of my commute? Yeah. Do I have to go do I have to make an hour out of my way to go for an hour an appointment just doesn't really work in my schedule. And hopefully you're in a place that has enough therapists that you can choose someone that's closer. Yeah. Right. So sometimes it's good to think of also when you're with a therapist for the first time, like what are some red flags where? Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot, yeah. (laughs) The most egregious, and it's so sad to say this because it happens, is when um, therapists hit on you. Yes, they flirt with you. Yeah. When they flirt with you and we know that it happens every year, I'm sure many times, I don't know what the exact statistics are, but it's the number one ethical violation that psychologists breach, which is having sex with their clients. Yeah, well, and mostly it's men, but as a side note. Men with younger women. Yeah, (laughs) classic tale. (laughs) Yeah, but that is a huge, that's a huge red flag. 
Yeah, that, that's a hard no. That's hopefully a clear no to most people. But sometimes, you know, it can just be something subtle. Like the therapist touches you and it doesn't feel right. Or the therapist emails you or texts you and it just it doesn't feel like a boundary mm-hmm. that um, that feels appropriate. They co- or they comment on what you're wearing. Yeah. yeah stuff like that yeah. is important to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Showing up late to an appointment or canceling frequently, those are obviously red flags or forgetting your name oh god (laughs) terrible Uh, also bad advice you know i i i get this a lot from patients who have been with other therapists and they report back to me what their therapist might have said to them or told them to do Mm -hmm. and of course i always take it with a grain of salt like how much is how much of it is my, my patient interpreting something that was taken out of context. So, um, so I have a friend who went to a therapist and he was sharing with her that he was struggling a lot in his marriage and he wasn't sure what to do and he felt really stuck and she encouraged him to have an affair. Yeah, like that's fucked and, up. Yeah, right, exactly. So, you know, it's it's things like that that feel like they're either not processed enough or they're said flippantly or it's advice that could really harm them. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing to say, hey, have you and your partner talked about having an open relationship? You know, sometimes people find that helpful. What What do you feel as I'm sharing this, you know, uh, possibility with you or this way of structuring a relationship blah blah unpacking that that's very different than saying like oh you should have an affair like that yes just, that's yes. not helpful i know Absolutely. who you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> i know you do <laughs> oh, yeah. and then and then also um forcing forcing you to talk about something that you feel really uncomfortable talking about yeah or a really big trauma in your life and the therapist says something like you need to talk about this and there's not another option yeah you know it it might be encouraged a therapist might want to push you but also there should be a space that really um at least builds up to that place understand what what makes it really difficult to share providing you with coping tools so that if and when you do share that you feel safe and comfortable if they're pushing you and not really talking it through with you that's that's a, that's a red flag yeah yeah not really processing well what what is making this difficult to share yeah yeah any kind of anger or defensiveness if you give the therapist feedback um you know therapists should be able you know be trained to take feedback it's an important part of the process that a client can be open about you know whether the if the therapist is misattuned in some way or said something that landed in a in a bad way yeah and also like all people therapists can burn out yeah and and a and a burnt out therapist is not a therapist that you want to be with because they're not effective they should be not only taking care of themselves to prevent burnout um but they should be engaged and i also feel like um the way this may sound superficial but like the way a therapist is dressed or how their office looks can be an indicator of you know where they're at emotionally so if a therapist is like very disheveled or very disorganized in their 
in their office or in their appearance that that usually to me is a red flag yeah yeah the office is is a special sacred place that that the patient should feel at ease should feel calm and having a cluttered office that's really disorganized and there's papers all over the place like isn't isn't a place where you feel less stress Um, and so an environment that allows a person to feel at ease is really important yeah so in general I think it's about like finding somebody who you feel comfortable with who's comfortable receiving feedback who you feel is curious about you is non-judgmental is warm somebody centered in themselves I don't know like I think so much of it is really honestly going off gut intuition about how you experience, how how the therapist makes you feel. Like just really paying attention to how the therapist makes you feel. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, like it can take a while to really know what a therapist is like. You know, like, so you may have a good first impression, but then after like three or four sessions, you're like, I don't know, this isn't the right thing. Or the reverse can happen where you're kind of ambivalent, but you go back and then actually something opens up and you feel comfortable and and it feels like it could potentially be a really good working relationship. But the important thing to know is like, you can see a therapist for however many times and then say, this is not for me. Like you're not, yeah. you have to be feel stuck. Don't feel stuck with anybody. No, no, or obligated, obligated to see someone because you don't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. Because therapy is really about you. And, and you should feel like you're getting something from it. I mean, it's wonderful to have a safe space where you feel unjudged, but it's expensive. And no one wants to spend $250 to just vent. I mean, some people might, but to to not feel like you're growing. And therapy should also be a place of growth. And so to be able to talk about or at least reflect on, are there shifts inside me? Are there shifts in my relationships? Are there shifts um, in my life in some way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to find a good therapist that you connect with. It is hard. It is hard. And and we encourage people. I mean, we're based in New York City. Um, but if you have questions or if you need a referral, you're welcome to reach out to info at lovelink.co. We'd be happy to help you find someone. Yeah, we have lists of people that we really like and that we trust. Yes, um, yes. So don't hesitate. Yeah. And we may be accepting patients, too. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> is such a big topic and we really wanted to condense it down into a little nugget so you know this is kind of the quick and dirty but again yeah if you have questions let us know this this um podcast kind of came as a result of people asking us so continue with your questions and um you know if we miss anything or need to follow up we'll include it in our next our next podcast yeah and uh feel free to also reach out with any other topics you would like us to spend some time talking about bye all right sina bye Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. 
Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Lovelink show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. Mm-hmm.